Okay. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for having me give the talk this morning, and uh, it's a blessing to me to give the talk now, whether or not it's a blessing for everybody else <laughs> remains to be seen, but I trust it will be. Okay, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to just read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 21, although I'm not using the church Bible. You'll find it on page 988 in the Pew Bibles, although I am reading from a different version. Matthew chapter 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught to you, unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass and the colt, and put them on their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, and strode them in the way. And the multitude that went before, and that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come unto Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Amen. Okay, so... Uh, 
I'm sure God's blessing is worth to us. Now, when we, when we start the opening uh, section of this, we notice that uh, there were actually two animals involved. It wasn't just the one. It talked about an ass and a colt. And had a quick look up online. Well, why did Jesus need two animals? And there are different theories. One thing might be that it was maybe just easier on the animals, maybe just to keep them together. If it was like the mother and uh, the fool, maybe just keeping together was just kinder to the animals. And I think one or two people also maybe saw there's something symbolic in it between the old and the new covenant. So I'm not quite sure, but we know that Jesus, he fulfilled the prophecy. It's actually in Zechariah 9, verses 9. Now, as Jenny was saying earlier on, that the, the people, they thought, see, I was listening. See, people thought that Jesus, well, he was going there to sort out the Romans. But actually, he went straight to sort out the money changes in the temple. Now, obviously, as it happens, we know when we read, and obviously I'll just make a, a quick reference to it, because it would be another sermon in itself. We know in Daniel chapter 2, with Nebuchadnezzar's dream about there's this big statue, and that talks about, this is the bigger picture, and it talks about a succession of worldly kingdoms. They follow one another, starting with Babylon, and then I think the, the Medo-Persian, then you had the Greek, and then the Romans. And then out of nowhere, this stone just comes out, lands on the feet. Everything just basically falls apart and the wind blows it away. So we know in the bigger picture, God, he does deal with all these earthly kingdoms. But in his own time. But he started, obviously, here, Jesus starts off sorting out the, the money changers in the temple. And, uh, of course, we are warned in the Bible that preoccupation... With finance. I mean, money's not wrong in itself. But obviously, the problem is when people get preoccupied with riches and luxuries, which are fine in themselves, but the danger is that if we're preoccupied with these things, we then become less, inter- we can become less interested in reading our Bibles, maybe less interested in prayer, because our minds are taken up with all these sort of riches. And uh, quite often, no, we wanted Jesus, I think as Jenny was saying as well, just like the Jewish people, they wanted Jesus to get rid of the Romans. And quite often, we wanted Jesus to deal with those different circumstances, the things that kind of get in the way that annoy us. But first and foremost, Jesus, he wants to deal with our hearts. You know, if there's kind of maybe sinful, if there's like kind of sinful attitudes in us, Jesus, he wants to deal with those things first. And then, of course, Palm Sunday, that was also Jesus, his journey to the cross, where he'd deal with the sinful condition of man, with the, with the big problem of sin, that man is cut off from God. Jesus, he'd pay the price for man's sin. So that's sorting out man's sinful condition, that he would be under, otherwise under God's wrath. But here, with the, te- with the money changers, Jesus and like with us, with Christians, Jesus would challenge us for sinful behavior. But he's already dealt with sinful condition on the cross. And then the other type of sin which Jesus had to deal with, it was that of the chief priests. The kind of, they were so sort of steeped in their religion. They didn't care about people. Jesus came to help people to perform healings. And you think, well, 
they were more annoyed that it went against their religious protocols. So they were hardened. I mean, just imagine you went to a, a meeting, you saw lots of God doing miracles and healing people. You think, that's fantastic, praise God, this person's been healed. Yet they saw all of this and they were displeased about it. They, so they were just hardened with their religion. And note it was the children who are actually praising Jesus. So he doesn't want sophistication. It's just praise and adoration. And so let's, we don't just want to see Jesus as somebody who enriches our lives. He does that. But primarily, when you look at the cross, he's the saviour from sin. Now, when Jesus went into Gethsemane, and he prayed, well, Lord, let this cup pass from me. It's almost like saying, well, was there another way of redemption? Now, we know that the answer is no. So if there wasn't another way of redemption for Jesus, there certainly isn't one for us. So let's get away from any talk. Now, because I'd heard something, some survey, there were kind of self-professed evangelicals now who sort of say, well, no longer now is Jesus the only way to God. But we need to refute that, that he is the only way a person can be saved. And the good news is that we don't need any other way. Jesus is sufficient. We can't add to it with good works. And good works are not required to be saved. But after a person is saved, we would expect to see good works as evidence Basically, that the person being serious about accepting Jesus and is the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now rather than going back to the Romans, rather than overthrow the Romans at that point, God actually used the Roman Empire for his own purposes. Because we, it, was, it was the Romans who put Jesus to the cross, where Jesus paid the price for our sins so you and I could be saved. God used the Romans in that. And in the Christmas story, like in Luke, we hear how uh, Caesar Augustus, he had this decree about the world being taxed, and he sort of thought, well, he was in charge. This is, no, this is my decree. But actually, God's in charge. God was actually using him. And then Paul's letter to the Romans. We just have these great uh, truths. Because, see, with Paul's different letters to the churches, Paul had to correct different things within the different churches. Like Galatians was the legalism, Corinthians, it was division, bad behavior. I think the thing with the Roman congregations was it was kind of pride and they were boasting. And in a sense, so Paul had to correct them. So we have all these chapters about how man is completely lost in sin and emphasizing the salvation that the free gift of God is eternal life. God's love, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 5, about all being completely lost in original sin from Adam. But Jesus, has, he's reversed that. And he did that all on the cross and the resurrection. All things work for good to those who love God and are the called. That's in Rome. So in Rome, then Paul was imprisoned. And of course he was martyred. But I believe, at the same time, God, he used the Roman infrastructure with the roads to sort of help facilitate the spread of the gospel. So even though the Romans thought it's our empire, they're in charge, they weren't. God's in, it's our God, he's in charge, and he still is in charge. He just used them. And the Roman Empire, I think 400 years later or so, for, different, for lots of different reasons, it sort of fizzled out. I mean, God, 
I suppose he could have, if he'd wanted to, raised some big army to destroy the Romans. But he didn't, and I think it's because he didn't need to. See, God, he just needs to say, okay, show's over, and they're finished. But I think what actually happened historically, I didn't really do, didn't do much history in school, but I believe there was some kind of, there's a mix of a few things, some tribes from the north, was it from Germany or so, were they Goths or so, they'd invaded part of the Roman Empire, and then they were attacked in Africa by, was it like vandals? And then I think the whole in- infrastructure just sort of collapsed. So God just dealt with them in uh, his own way. So, okay, so Palm Sunday then, what does it say to us? <coughs> what response, 2nd of April, what, what are we going to do this morning? Well, I've just thought of a few different things as a response. Now, the first response, I'm pretty sure that all of us, or hopefully all, all of us have done, is the first step is just like a personal acceptance of Jesus as the Saviour and Lord. And when I became a Christian, there were different, a few different steps. One of the steps involved me becoming a Christian was, you know, the Journey into Life booklets. And it talks about the steps as being A, B, C, D, like A for admit you're a sinner, and then from that you repent, you want to turn from sin with God's help. B, believe that Jesus died in your place, taking your punishment. C, consider what it means to be a Christian and live in God's way. D is the do when you actually accept Jesus as your saviour. And you can like do it in a prayer, like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sin with your help. I believe that you died in my place and rose again. Come into my life as I take you as my personal saviour from sin and my Lord to change me. Amen. So that is the first step for any person coming into this personal relationship with Jesus, getting born again. And it's because of what he did on the cross and the resurrection. Then the second step is for each one of us, is getting to know God better. Because as the saying goes, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And uh, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit, he comes into us to make us born again, and he is the presence of God within us. So, because he's a gentleman, we need to allow and invite the Holy Spirit to do his work in us, to change us, to bring us that sense of God's presence. So we do this by regularly having a quiet time with prayer, praying, reading your Bible, coming along to the church fellowship, and then as a form of exercise, so the witness, share your testimony when God gives you these openings, maybe talk about what Jesus has done for you. Okay, next step, follow Christ's example of humility. Because Jesus, when he showed humility and gentleness by riding into J- Jerusalem on a donkey. Let us, if he humbled himself, how much more should uh, you and I? Let's serve not for our own gratification, but thinking about Jesus, that it's for him. It's Jesus that we want to uh, glorify. And then step number four is, now when you have these two types of sinful behavior, they actually map out the parable of uh, the prodigal son, and of course there were two prodigal sons. Like the money changes in the temple, and they thought, well, religion, it's all about making money. That was like the younger son, in the parable of the prodigal son. He wasn't interested in his father. He just wanted money off his father. 
So let's not be like those money changers. And of course, they defiled the, the house of God with their money. Yet, let's not make it... The other sin was like the religious people, and they didn't like Jesus doing miracles and helping other people. That was like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, when it's all about religion, self-righteousness, not wanting God to be merciful. And because the older brother, he saw his father as being like a taskmaster and being mean. So he became mean himself. So when we don't have this right attitude of God, a God is merciful, it can make us unmerciful, self-righteous, not wanting God to extend his mercy to other people. So let's all have hearts which are softened before God when he, we see his mercy. So, so let's maintain also good biblical foundations. Remember Jesus as a saviour from sin, and we just had the communion. It's good just to focus on Jesus' blood, that we're saved by his blood, his death and resurrection. Let's repent of any pride or bad attitudes, not to be saved again, but to have this Christ-empowered character, allowing the Holy Spirit just to do his work. Let's commensurate with your life as a child of God, and you can know his peace. And then things that we hear, we need to be always testing things against what the Bible teaches. Number seven, yeah. Let Jesus be your ultimate joy. It's great to enjoy what Jesus does for us. Like I, if I have a nice walk or so, I go to a cafe and now to meet friends. It's good at the end of the day, thanking God for the daily incidentals, have for his guidance, provision, protection, things we enjoy during the day. If you have a nice holiday, yeah, thank God for that. It's good to have this attitude of gratitude, always finding things to thank God for. And it's good, to, in a sense, having things so we can bless others. But let's have... Also, that's at one level, but in our inner level, let's have this unspeakable joy. It talks about, is it 1 Peter? It talks about that, you know, you have this, this joy unspeakable. It's like a, an inner joy that we have that Jesus has saved us, and that's Jesus himself. That's our relationship with him as we think about eternity. Let that be your true joy. Let that be my true joy. Just a couple of things. I'll be handing back to Sean in a minute. So just a couple of things after that. So the next thing is just let your light shine as you walk with God and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's all be good ambassadors for Christ. So when we're telling people that Jesus is the answer, now I'm saying this to myself with all these admonitions because I always find it's always easier to bring admonitions and encouragements to other people than sometimes to live in the good of them yourself. So I'm, a, I'm very much saying this to myself. So let's all be good ambassadors for Christ. If we're telling people that Jesus is the answer, let's have lives that back it up in your profession. And uh, let's have lives that bless other people. So you can't do this on your own. You need God's help again by the Holy Spirit. So it's a good attitude in different situations when you're working or you're at college. It's good to have good timekeeping, working hard, things which glorify God. Let's be forgiving, let's be humble, have these things in our character. And then, just the last thing, just to recognize, as we saw with the Roman Empire, 
They weren't in charge. It's our God who's in charge. And I think, well, no wonder we're here this morning praising him because we realize he's in charge. So the prayer then is, thank you, Lord, that you're in charge, not any man-made empire. You gave us your son, Jesus. Thank you. We take him as Lord and Savior. Help us to glorify him and make him known. Amen. Amen, yeah. So thanks for, having, thanks for listening this morning, and uh, God bless you. Thank you, Sean.